When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Soccer Show and our January transfer window update. On today's show, we're going to discuss Chelsea's growing side of players who like to play wide. Man United removing their number nine doubt with their new man, Wout. That spice around Declan Rice, Tottenham's sorrow in trying to get Poro, and much, 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 much more. My name's Ryan Bailey. Joining me today, a man who would never tape a Nokia cell phone to the back of a TV set. I don't think Taylor Rockwell. I wouldn't, but man, that was some that was some like video game level treachery there. Uh I appreciate Graham sharing with us that was it during it was was it during BBC, was it during Match of the Day, whatever yeah. it was, the uh the cell phone playing sex noises as Gary Lineker tried to talk to Alan yeah. Shearer was terrific. Yeah, yeah, so they, someone they actually they, they dealt with it very well. On you go, Ryan, explain did. what 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 happened. Yeah, so this was um was it halftime, Graham? Between um before uh, the match, it was before the match. Wolves and Liverpool's FA Cup replay. Uh, they're in studio. They're live on air, and there is an inappropriate noise coming out of the broadcast, and it transpires someone had taped a, a rogue phone to the back of the studio, set its ringtone to the said noise, and then rung it during the broadcast. And as you say, Graham, I think Gary Lineker did handle yeah. it well. He handed off to Alan Shearer, and um, he, he he did well. He he did do very well. I did question why they didn't cut away from the studio <laughs> earlier. Why didn't they just go to Shearer? Because obviously he didn't have the the noise. But I did enjoy how the, for the whole broadcast, including halftime, they just blamed Danny Murphy. That was that was the end joke for 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 the whole broadcast. And then <laughs> and then Shearer ended it with something. I'm paraphrasing slightly. He ended it with a line. You know how he always has a sign off, Ryan, on Match of the Day, or anyone who's seen Match of the yeah. Day. He ended it with a match that was decided by a screamer, and it wasn't the only one we had on the show tonight. Hello! <laughs> <laughs> also joining us on this podcast, you just heard his voice, a man who sleeps three hours a night due to watching soccer in Australian Open, but still looks fresher than Graham Potter. It's our Graham Ruffin. <laughs> That's a low bar. Hello, Ryan Bailey. Yeah, I don't think I look particularly fresh at the moment. One thing I will say about Graham Potter is he doesn't have uh, a giant spot on, on his on his chin, which is, chin, which is, is, is proof of... My lack of sleep at the moment. Maybe that's coming for for Graham Potter a, a little bit later on. But I, yes, not not a great deal of sleep at the moment for me. I have questions. First of all, is Cheen how you pronounce it in Scotland, and you had to Americanize it for us? <laughs> you got a spot on my Cheen. <laughs> and then second of all, why does a spot on the chin indicate that you are sleep deprived? Like the bags on bags under my eyes tells me that I'm sleep deprived. You get a spot on your chin. That's it. I don't, I don't so know I get, about this. Graham. I, I get I get bad skin. I get out, outbreaks when I've not slept a lot. And I was okay. I was halfway to saying cheat because. That is actually where it is if you look here. Okay, okay. And then I changed it to chin halfway through. <laughs> Stories yeah, changing. Sure. Stories changing. I yeah. don't know about this. It, it, well, it probably, on the um, when you don't sleep much, Graham, you probably have a poor diet. They're probably uh, inter- interrelated in some way, <laughs> yes. I'd imagine. And did even worse than usual. Yep. Rounding out our pack, of course, uh, a man with an excellent diet who gets his eight hours minimum. Our man in Arizona, he loves that soccer's now on HBO Max. Mixing up his 
Thrones with his soccer's Joe Larry. Hello. Yes, I have HBO Max. That is that is something that I own, and I certainly am not happy about <laughs> Telemundo getting the Spanish language your soccer TV rights deal. Uh, no, so much has happened in this show already. I'm not even sure where to start. I don't think there's anywhere I can go from here other than to say. Man, this is going to be a good show. This is going to be a good show, oh, folks. Uh, that's that's the minimum bar we set around here, Joseph. <laughs> of course. Um, but I, it, it had me thinking, now that HBO Max does have soccer, it seems like every streaming app does. Apple's got it now coming to... It's, it, it, so, uh, TV is very fractured in, in these um, various subscription plans we have to have in the US. And I'm just getting more and more confused. Every time I sit down to watch a game, I have to fire up a, a web page to see which streaming service this game is on, and it's getting worse and worse, Joe. What if – now, go with me on this. I know this is weird. What if we combined, like, Peacock mm. and Apple TV Plus yeah. and HBO Max and Amazon Prime Video? What if we just combined all of them, and then you could, like, flip through them? Almost like channels, but it's not channel, but almost with, like channels. With advert, ad breaks, and then and you yeah, pay a monthly subscription and, and you put satellite on the side of your, t- on your, of your we, house. Yeah, we and we call it directly it, going into your home, so we call it like direct something, like direct TV, something like that. No, yeah. that's that's too on the nose. That won't work. But I mean, okay. generally speaking, I know the joke I think we're there. That you all are making here. I, I need you to stop before Jeff Bezos and whoever heads Apple hear this and are just like, yes, this is the idea. We'll own all of the media and then it will be great and we won't control everything. Joe, stop. Yeah. yeah this, oh, well, this, Joe, this feels like we can't uh, give ideas to FIFA as well. Like we can't yes, give exactly. ideas to any of these people. <laughs> yeah, I look forward to the press release from FIFA tomorrow saying uh, Apple Cop Prime Max Plus coming soon. Yep. And and if FIFA is involved, I don't think we've talked about this story. Uh, we know that they will be involved because we'll just have random shots to Gian- Gianni Infantino, <laughs> not on his phone, of emphasizing that. That was a crazy story that Gianni Infantino insisted that he be shown at every single game he attended with the caveat that he never be on his phone in coverage. Mm-hmm. And then when he was, somebody what? got in trouble. That is real close to dictator status right there for yeah. me. Why did he not want to be shown on his I phone? I was wondering that too, Graham. A preemptive strike to, to, to ward against the, the match of the day sex noise? Was that the idea? <laughs> I'm hoping it's that. My guess is that he is so frequently on his phone and cares yeah. so little about the games being played that ah. if they cut to him multiple times and he was always on his phone, really yeah. quickly there would be a running joke of Gianni Infantino, the president of FIFA, not actually caring about the World mm. Cup games. I, th- I think that's exactly it. His yeah. PR person notes that he's always on his phone, so they didn't want it to become a thing but he doesn't actually watch the games. So. <laughs> he's a big TikTok guy. <laughs> well, he really wanted, he's he doing the FIFA it. Roblox game is what he's doing, right? That's <laughs> yes, perfect, perfect. Yeah, yeah, of course, of course. <laughs> Roblox, thing I know about. Just like Joe knows about HBO Max. Clearly. Everyone is an expert around here. Um, by the way, uh, some, some housekeeping. Taylor, on yesterday's podcast, you said you wanted to A, your cues. Everybody's mm-hmm. cues, and mm-hmm. I instantly went Yikes. and had a shower after that. I think everybody else <laughs> felt the same way. So, thank you for introducing that into our lexicon. <laughs> I almost made it uh, worse in the beginning of this show by describing the uh, the physical reaction that Jeff Bezos would have to the idea of uh, securing every single media company. But I don't think anybody needs to picture that, uh, even though I'm now leading us down that road right now. Indeed. Well, I'll tell you what, Tay-Tay, Chelsea aren't aying very many cues at the moment. They're bringing up more cues than A's, I would suggest. Uh, having spent over half a million, half a million, sorry, dollar, uh, no, half a billion dollars um, and still being mid-table this season, Patrick Vieira Taylor said words to the effect of, it's bad for soccer, that what Chelsea are doing. I don't know if it is. It's bad for them. It's good for every other club who's 
you know, they're basically investing in all these Premier League clubs and Champions League rivals at the moment, and they're creating a spectacle. Is it bad? I'm not sure. I, this is a weird trend all of a sudden that everybody is very concerned about the spending habits of the Premier League itself and then the top clubs in the Premier League. I think it was Agnelli, the former uh, Juve director, talking about how uh, we need to reform soccer because the Premier League was taking too much money. That's That done been happening, y'all. Uh, but I do think in this case, Chelsea are really taking it to the next level between the deals that they are offering, the transfer fees they are paying, but then the length of those deals. Mudrik is, what, eight and a half years if they exercise that that uh, one-year option, but seven and a half guaranteed. I understand why we're doing it, uh, why they're doing it, rather. Well, I'm sure we'll get into it, but still, the amount of money that they are guaranteeing and then guaranteeing to the player makes me wonder if they're going to be having to pull some levers down the road. But for now, it's going to be fascinating and also maybe chaotic at the same time. Mm. Okay, um, Joe, why don't we get into uh, who I assume is the latest signing at the time of recording, uh, Mikhailo Podrick, Madrick. Um, how does he fit into this team as a left winger? He's got some competition in his position, yeah. I would imagine. Yeah, it's not. The depth chart for Chelsea is not clear right now. Trying to build a depth chart as well under Graham Potter has been difficult because the shape has changed so much from match to match, and, and Graham Potter is trying to help his team learn to be tactically flexible. It's safe to say that hasn't gone all that well so far. I do think if Chelsea stick with him, things will get better, but I don't know how much, and so there are, there are difficulties here. I don't know what to make, really, of this Chelsea situation right now. I know you guys did the big thing on that last week. It is complicated, and things are messy. Mudrik, though, looking specifically at him, Ryan, you said it. I think he fits on the left wing. That's where he's been playing for Shakhtar. That is, I think, the spot that allows him to best use his combination of speed and dribbling ability. You could certainly play him on the right as well. But this guy is a winger. He'll drift into the half spaces. He'll drift centrally at times. But he is someone you want out wide to maximize the number of times he's going to drive at someone 1v1 or even 1v2 because I think he's good enough and fast enough to do that. When you watch Mudrik play, he has Kylian Mbappe speed. I'm not trying to be hyperbolic. He is that fast. He is electric to watch. So, again, I'd expect to see him out wide. It's difficult for Graham Potter to fit in all of the pieces around him, but I think you can do it. And we'll talk more about maybe how this Chelsea team could look at full strength going forward when we talk about Joe Felix momentarily. But, Ryan, I think you said it, essentially. On the left wing, I don't think you play him really anywhere else, frankly. Graham, your thoughts on this move? And obviously Arsenal were in were in, uh, were yeah. in for him as well. And they'll be disappointed, I imagine, that they no longer get someone with 90s curtains joining them. <laughs> it's a strong look, isn't it? Mm-hmm. As, yeah. as, as an iconic look that Mikhailo Mudrik has. Yeah, at this point, I'm pretty sure Chelsea don't have a scouting department. They've just taped a phone to the back of a sofa in, in Arsenal's <laughs> scouting department. And they're just copying their Arsenal's homework. I, I, in terms of Mudrik as a signing, he's a very talented individual. I've watched them, I think, five times this season. I mentioned that on a, on a show earlier this season. For whatever reason, Scott, Scottish teams seem to be drawn against Ukrainian teams quite often. So I watched them against, um, against Celtic for Shakhtar Donetsk. He played three times against Scotland. He, he looks like the real deal. He looks very dangerous. I can envisage how he would fit into this Chelsea team, as Joe mentions on, on that left side. He's got pace. I think he brings something different to that Chelsea team. But the, the, the other factors are the fee is, is incredible. 100 million euros. I believe 25 million euros of that is going to, is, is a donation to the Ukrainian, some sort of Ukrainian war fund, which I guess is a plot twist I didn't really see coming when the Abramovich, uh, that hmm. whole episode was happening. Chelsea aiding the, the, the fight against Russia. 
But then, the, as as Taylor mentions, the length of the contract is is absolutely. It seems insane to me. Maybe this is the way football goes and this ages poorly in two years from now. Everyone's handing out seven-year and eight-year contracts. But it seems like a giant, giant gamble for, for Chelsea. And there are financial fair plays for financial fair play reasons why why they're doing that. And in terms of Arsenal, you're right, right, right Ryan. They, they spent months lining up this deal. It looked like Madrid was the only player they were interested in for this transfer window. So it's certainly a blow that not only have they missed out on him, but he's gone to one of their, their biggest rivals. I think there's something admirable about a club having conviction in their own value of a player, though, and and standing by it. And Mudrik undoubtedly would have strengthened Arsenal's squad, and maybe we can talk a little bit later on about how they do need more players in those attacking positions, but they're not willing to hinder their their summer transfer activity and 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 it seemed like that was a factor i think the athletic reported that that yes arsenal could have paid the money to get mudrick but it would have it would mean that their summer would be more difficult and they're just not willing to compromise their their development in in, in that way so i i kind of admire arsenal for holding firm in their in their valuation and 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 not getting into the the bidding war with chelsea graham i agree with you on that the the thing though is you know arsenal could win the title this year. Like this is where I come back and wonder as a general principle I think it's it's good not to spend money that you don't feel is good to spend, right? It's good not to spend 10, 20, 30 million dollars more on a player who you think is worth 10, 20, 30 million dollars less than what you're going to have to pay for him. That is that's good business, but at the same time this could be Arsenal's year. And and do we think realistically that coming into next year they're automatic title favorites even with Mudrik? I I kind of doubt it. So this is the year for me that I think you have to push, and maybe that will come through other moves in the window that we have yet to see unfold yet. It seems like there's a lot of other discussion around Arsenal right now, so maybe that will come. But this is the time, I think, if you're Arsenal, that you do sort of bend and, and maybe even break your own rule, because who's to say you're going to be back in this spot, you know, X number of points clear at the top of the table in a year from now? Uh, I've got some concerns about this one. Uh, Graham, I'm glad that you are hyped and you have watched him more than I have, but from the two games I have actually seen him in combined with the Scout footage I watched, I think he is a very good uh, dribbler. I think he's very speedy, but I also think he's going to be frustrating for Chelsea in the way some of their wingers are frustrating. I think he takes heavy touches sometimes when he's dribbling. I think he tries to do too much on occasion. Uh, he draws a lot of fouls, but I think will also get dispossessed. And in that way, I think going to Chelsea, we might not see the best of him. I think at Arsenal, we would have seen a next level yeah. evolution of, of his game because he's going to a team that has settled with a manager that has an idea of how he wants his team to play. Very specific idea. So training is going to reflect that. His development will reflect that. And I think that is a little bit of a loss for a player who was obviously publicly courting that move to Arsenal, wanted to go there. Uh, Chelsea, I think when they knew this deal was going to happen, had to start kind of putting out feelers, making sure everybody wasn't going to be too mean to him about the public courting of Arsenal. Uh, and and in his kind of promo uh, footage or in the kind of still shots of him with, with the Chelsea stuff, still sort of looks like this isn't an Arsenal shirt. I'm confused. Like he has a little bit of a befuddled look on his face. So maybe that's because he was ready to go to a title challenger and develop his game. And now he's yeah. going to chaos. I, I think he will end up being a good player for them, but there are so many players now in that attacking lineup, or potentially in that attacking lineup. Obviously, they've got some injuries to deal with. Christian Pulisic, chief amongst them in my mind. But uh, Matt Law tweeted, By my reckoning, Chelsea have an entire team of forwards either permanently at the club due to join, loaned in or loaned out. That would be Mudrik, Nkunku, Felix, uh, Sterling, Havertz, Pulisic, Zayek, Aubameyang, Broha, Lukaku, and Hudson-Odoi. 
This is unsustainable. They also bid for Noni. Uh, so I think that means they are going to clear out this summer. Uh, it gets harder to clear out when you're giving out seven and a half year deals, six year deals, eight year deals, whatever they may be. And I know the goal there is to amortize the length of the or the transfer uh, fee over the length of that deal. So it's less of a financial hit right away. But it still means that you're going to have a ton of players who, if you're not able to sell on, are going to be on pretty high wages because uh, Chelsea can pay high wages. And so you're going to end up with a Barca situation of a bunch of guys who don't want to move because no one else is going to pay me £150,000 a week. And I don't know how they kind of keep that going long term without yeah. having a financial fair play hit. Obviously, we are we're, we generally focus on when we're talking about attackers at Chelsea who might need to be cleared out. We focus on Christian Pulisic, mm-hmm. understandably so. Have Chelsea forgotten they signed Raheem Sterling? That yes. that's the one that I I right. think. What is the plan for Raheem Sterling? I mean, he's, if if he was if the plan was for him to start on the left, now Mudrik's been signed to to play there, and Kuku I would presume is going to play through the middle as he has for Leipzig, so Sterling's not going to play there. Felix, I don't know where he fits in, and maybe we're going to we're going to talk about that a little bit more. If, is the plan for him to be on the right and then Reese James ov- overlap? Is that maybe where Sterling? fits in but I would say Sterling and Felix are very different players in the way they play that position so I don't know what the plan is for Raheem Sterling yeah I mean Graham we did I did speculate previously and I think we came to the consensus that maybe they'd forgotten they'd signed Nkunku (laughs) already and so maybe they've also forgotten they signed Raheem Sterling I think Sterling has picked up injuries here and there this season Uh, Pulisic is going to be out so maybe the idea is just we need depth and then we will figure it out from there Uh, maybe there are some players who aren't working in the positions they're in and so they want to try to experiment and move some people around I I have those same concerns and those same issues because I could see a lot of people being pretty dissatisfied in this Chelsea squad but Graham Potter also has proven himself capable of uh, developing talent and getting people to play together cohesively at his former club less so at Chelsea these days so it's going to be interesting as as we've already said I just I, I still don't quite know if these moves make them better in the areas they need to improve. It's not boring, that's for sure, Taylor. This um, is true. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, let's talk about Joao Felix. And also, we're going to talk a bit about, about Veghorst at Man United. Plenty more to come. Stick with us. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Total Soccer Show, welcome back. We are talking about the done deals so far here on the Total Soccer Show podcast. And we're still with Chelsea. Uh, Yao Felix. Taylor Rockwell has his hand up, wants to talk about Yale Felix. I, I actually just got really excited because uh, in the break, R- Ryan was making sure that the Nkunku deal was done because it's, a, a I think, a, a handshake agreement that will happen in the summer. I am now obsessed with the idea of Arsenal 
coming in and hijacking no, that yes. deal for Nkunku the way Chelsea hijacked the Mudrik deal. Well, I mean, if it's not done, I, I think I think Arsenal should have a go that way because also Nkunku at Arsenal is pretty exciting. Let's see if they can mm, make something yeah. happen. They were they they've also made it clear now that they have the money because they almost offered the same. I think they offered the same amount of money with the same roughly the same incentives, but Chelsea's Ooh. were just like Ooh. make five appearances and you get ten million Taylor. more. I know how they do it. I know how they do it. They do it Batman style or Bane style. When the plane's coming over from Germany, Arsenal have a plane fly on top of it and hijack it and sort of take the people out of it like Bane, you know, like the whole Bane thing. I don't know who they leave in the plane to yeah. show that uh, that that like it, it actually happens. So maybe one player has to be sacrificed. Hopefully not. <laughs> it probably is. Let's talk Jao Felix though. A move that still has me confused. Uh, I, I, it's 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 really hilarious to me. Uh, maybe not hilarious, but I find it very funny that the, the narrative was Atleti were holding out for a loan fee of I think twenty million euros. And then Chelsea were able to get him for 11 million euros plus his wages, which I think puts it at around 14 or 15 million uh, euros. And at that point, what a bargain seems to have been the narrative from Chelsea. Yeah. And I just I love that six months for 14 million. That's the bargain that Chelsea were going for. But in he comes and immediately gets a red card. I also really <laughs> enjoyed the narrative that like uh, that Chelsea felt like they needed to go for Mudrik because they saw the impact that Jao Felix had in those 48 minutes and they thought, we yeah. need to keep spicing it up, we need to keep shaking it up. Left off the fact that he got that straight red and is suspended for Ta- three games. Taylor, the, the best narrative <laughs> from, from Chelsea fans watching the game was, he was the best player on the pitch before he got the red card. Like, so? <laughs> yeah, and then he comically got a red card like that was just that was if you need the definition of a straight red uh that that tackle is it so probably not the debut he was looking for i'm guessing oh dear so Taylor, do you want to have a crack joe joe why don't you have a crack at where felix can actually fit into this team then it's a second striker situation presumably yeah Yeah, it is And, and i alluded to earlier how i think potter could get all of these really shiny puzzle pieces into a shiny puzzle Raheem Sterling and some of the other options do complicate this, but I, th- I think that is depth options at this point. When you pay this much for players, I think you're looking at Kai Havertz as a number nine, Jao Felix as a number 10, sort of off the right side, and then you're looking at Mudrik as a left winger. So, so you've got Felix almost as a pseudo right winger drifting inside. You have Mudrik on the left, and then Mason Mount, who I think is a key component of this Chelsea team, as sort of a free eight, and I think this team then looks best in basically what becomes a 4-3-3. It won't look like right. that in possession because I mentioned Felix drifting inside, Mudrik will stay wider. But I do think you can get these players on, and you need depth as well. If you want to compete in the Premier League, you need high-quality players, right? You need Man City levels of depth if you want to win the title. So I, in some ways, don't hate this signing. The The loan fee <laughs> is there. But at the same time, I was reading through an athletic piece uh, and, and one of the commenters I thought had a really great point. So this was Ash in one of the comments uh, sections about this uh, about this signing for Joe Felix over in an athletic article said, if you work out transfer fees for top players, this is effectively what people pay for half a season. If you sign an $80 million player on a five-year deal, you're effectively playing, paying excuse me, $8 million for half a season for their service. I thought that was a very interesting way to, to frame this financial discussion so, but, so, but then you also that, get to that, sell that player that, too, that was my point <laughs> you, yeah. you've got an asset then but yeah. is that is that just wages that that ash is talking about or or, or what so like, yeah, there's that accounting i think that's talking about then splitting up the transfer fee into you know however much you're going to have that player however yeah. long you're so, going to have so that this player. is the buy versus lease argument here yeah no it? it's, it's true it's true but in <laughs> soccer transfer fees are so volatile and if joe felix doesn't succeed and you've paid 80 million for him and you're trying to sell him for 40 million that's a difficulty as well so okay i mean that's there's fair. there are considerations here i'm just saying it is not like 
maybe this horrific piece of business that, that we've talked about it as that I've joked about. I think there is some value here. I also think Joe Felix is a great player. I think he's a phenomenal player, and I do think yeah. Chelsea could be a place where he really does shine. I actually do put credence in he's on the field for 55 minutes or whatever it was and looked really good and then made a stupid choice. You know, you don't, you don't love to see that, obviously, but he's a phenomenal player. I think he does clearly make Chelsea better, and I think we've really dramatized how yeah. financially foolish this move is. I... I... I'm excited to see him in the Premier League. I kind of wish he had gone to another club that isn't quite in the chaos that Chelsea is in right now. But nonetheless, I think Chelsea could be a reasonable fit for him for all the reasons that, that Joe outlines there. But I do think there is a disconnect between this idea that Chelsea are building for the long term and they've got a project manager in the form of Graham Potter and they're spending big money on young players and they're not going to have to do this for another 10 years. And then Jao Felix is completely and utterly a short-term solution. And he may be a, a great short-term solution. He did look good in that in that Fulham game. And he does give Potter, I think this is one of the key points and the key aspects of his signing, he gives Potter a great deal a great deal of tactical flexibility. He can play on that on that right side. He could even play in a, in a kind of midfield unit. I guess he can play as a up front through the middle, but not as a conventional centre forward. He can play off the left. So Potter needs that from from his squad. He doesn't have a great deal of it at the moment and Felix will will offer him that. But the short termism feels jarring when everything else at Chelsea has been billed as this is for the long term. Mm. Uh, here's what I get confused by. Like, like first of all, Joe, three different times in this show talking about Chelsea, you have ended a statement with a question. So you've been like, Chelsea <laughs> will get better. I'm I don't hate this signing. <laughs> there is some value here, uh, and, and I think all of that. Like, I, I agree with both of you, but like, I think you've the reason why I am negative on on this move, maybe more negative than others might be, is is for what Graham just laid out there. That like, Felix can do a lot of different things. I don't know if he can be that striker that they need. And and that has been my criticism of Chelsea is these signings will make them better, I think, in certain areas, but not in the areas I think that they need to be strengthening. Mm-hmm. Center midfield, having more creativity there, and a striker up top who can do the things that Grand Potter wants that striker to do. Maybe it's Felix, but if it's not, is it Aubameyang? Is it Fofana? Broja's injured. So I, I, I that's where I sort of don't quite get this move because it feels like another sort of mercurial player who wants to play wide or wants to play off of a center forward that they still don't have. And and maybe I'm wrong, maybe this comes good, but that remains my concern. I think Kai Havertz is that guy for me. And maybe he's not that guy for Graham Potter, but I think Kai Havertz could be a phenomenal number nine. Maybe this is me channeling Ryan's World Cup predictions. Wasn't there a World Cup prediction about Kai Havertz in there, Ryan, about him scoring? Maybe it was a Euros no, prediction. No, no, no. Oh, okay, right. <laughs> that tells the listeners everything they need to know. I think Kai Havertz is a guy you can play off of and have as a focal point. I think he could really round into being a phenomenal well-rounded, that's a poor poor expression now, but well-rounded number nine. And then I think the pieces do sort of fit around him. It won't be Felix next year. Most likely it'll be Nkunku instead. So I yeah. I kind of like what there Chelsea are shaping up into. I mean, I, it feels <laughs> weird to say because I know no one else agrees with me, right? But I kind of like no, what no, Chelsea no. are turning into. They do just very clearly need help in central midfield. And that is where I would have spent money first over these other moves, but it seems yeah, like money is no problem for Todd. So yeah. I, I would be shocked if they don't bring in a big money central midfielder in this window too, because I think it's very clear to a lot of folks that that's the, where the squad really needs strengthening. The, there is a scenario, 
that I, I, I see where you're coming from, John. There is a scenario where we get to the summer or the start of next season and we're looking at this Chelsea team and it, and it looks pretty good. Yeah. I mean, if they were able to get Felix um, on a permanent deal, which feels, I know there's not an obligation to buy, there's not an option to buy, but Atletico Madrid may be open to that given how his career there has gone and it feels like there's going to be quite a bit of upheaval at, at Atletico Madrid in the summer. So maybe he ends up at Chelsea permanently regardless. If they have a front line of Mudrik and Cuckoo and Felix and then they find that central midfielder and you then factor in the defensive additions they've made, that, that's, a, that's a pretty strong team on paper. And if they manage to clear out that squad then there is a scenario where I think Chelsea are looking pretty good for the start of the next season. But right now, it, it is a little bit of a mess and yeah. they still need to find a number of solutions. My, uh, my, my, my two-year-old daughter likes to do like puzzles, but doesn't quite get the idea of a puzzle. So sometimes she puts the pieces, like the big pieces together correctly, and sometimes she just rams the wrong pieces together and then looks at me like, huh, I solved it? And that's a little bit what Chelsea are right now. Mm. It's, as, as Joe said, a shiny puzzle, shiny puzzle pieces into a shiny puzzle, but maybe it's Graham Potter just sort of like shoving two pieces together that don't fit and be like, you know what, that'll do for now. It's yeah. solved. I'm good with it. Let's move on. A nice $500 million puzzle. Wonderful. <laughs> times uh you are listening to the total chelsea show we're going to take a quick break from chelsea (laughs) to talk about man united for a moment val veghorst taylor is he the prince of all time yeah pretty much Um, (laughs) i think we 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 might mention this on the show before but eric ten Hag saying you know it's very important that we have high quality caliber of signings we've seen signings maybe who shouldn't have been made at this club previously enter val veghorst (laughs) yes I, i think a huge part of this deal is that Manchester United do not want to spend money and are not inclined to spend money and are definitely for sale. So I, I think with that, and we can talk more about that uh, in the segment if we want, uh, but I think with that in mind, this deal makes a lot more sense. Because in the end, I think they only ended up having to pay in total £2.6 million of a loan fee, and that's basically to cancel... Uh, the loan to Besiktas, so he'd go back to Burnley. Burnley, I think, only getting £100,000 in this deal. The rest goes to Besiktas and then Manchester United taking him on loan. So a very minimal amount of money outlaid for a player who I think is going to do a variety of things for Eric Ten Hag. I, because of the World Cup, because I wasn't as familiar with Veghorst, assumed he was basically just going to be a target man. That he adds you that sort of big guy in the box. If you're chasing a game late, you put him on there. He can he can be that guy to w- win aerial challenges, to kind of just like occupy attention, and then other players can make things happen. But then a lot of the coverage about him has been about how he is very good at pressing, how he works really hard, how he will work off the ball and drop in deeper to try to help uh, win the ball. So then... Going back and watching his footage, at least with Besiktas, that is what he does. He runs a lot. He works really hard. And, and so in that way, I think there is a little bit of familiarity with what Ten Hag wants to do. Uh, but then I think a lot of it is we're bringing in a player who isn't going to have the ego of the the number nine slash number seven that he's replacing and and will do sort of the things that we need him to do that will happy to be on the bench and come in for 15 minutes but start a game here and there. And, and I think he ticks a lot of boxes for Eric Ten Hag. I don't know if he ends up being... A Manchester United legend, but I think it it will be a smart signing akin to yep. when they sign Henrik Larsson for six months way back when. I I think there's a lot of logic behind this this signing. I know Agreed. there's something there's a hu- humorous element to it, given that Veghorst is is not going to be the Manchester United number nine that Ten Hag builds around. And there might be some listeners thinking I'm contradicting myself here because I'm kind of sceptical of the Yao Felix deal, but I'm saying I like this deal. The difference is Yao Felix, it feels like he's been brought in to be a key part of that team, and then he's, they're going to have to rip him out of that team. 
Veghorst is not going to be I mean I, I think it's unlikely that he's going to be a key part of this minority team I think he's going to be a, a plan B I think he's going to be someone who starts some some games occasionally but is largely coming off the bench to to make a difference when minority are looking for a solution so that's the, the difference between the two signings the, the issue that that I do have is that this is a reflection of minority's poor recruitment over over a number of years and in a way they can't do anything about that now this is the situation that they're in they can't really do anything about it in this window Anyway, I think they might be plotting some stuff for the summer, assuming that the, the ownership situation is sorted out by then. They need a body right now, and this is the, the body that they could get. And I, and I think it's a relatively decent solution. But if you look back at the last few years, you can see how Man United have ended up in this situation. So it's been over five years since Man United last signed a striker under the age of 30. And in that time, Arsenal have signed Gabriel Jesus, Gabriel Martinelli and Obama Yang when he first got there. Chelsea have signed Lukaku, Havertz and Werner. Liverpool have signed Nunes, Gakpo and Jota. And City have signed Haaland, Alvarez and, and, and Ferran Torres. So United have put themselves in this position. As I say, there's not a great deal they can do about it now. Veghorst is pretty much as good as, as, as they can get in this window. But it is a reflection of how things have gone wrong over the last few years for United that this is the signing they're making right now. Taylor, you mentioned he might not be a Man United legend. Picture this scenario. I'm going to place a scenario on your hands. Last day of the season, Man United, they need a goal to win the Premier League title. <laughs> There's a free kick about 25 yards out. Val Vekost is gliding, he's, he's on the edge of the box. What kind yeah. of free kick is taken, taken here in this scenario? And how does uh, it go? Uh, the the one that we saw for Argentina, the one that we saw him, I think he did the same thing for Wolfsburg, he which did. tells me that he is a set piece master. Uh, we know he can sing. We, we've we've learned that from Graham Ruthven mm. sharing that one with us. Uh, his goodbye celebration with Besiktas made me love him very very much. So I, I think he's going to be an all rounded uh, talent that will score that set piece with some uh, uh, masterful trickery. Uh, I am definitely <laughs> high on this one. A lot of it has to do with that goodbye celebration to the Besiktas fans and and how, how sweet that was, the sort of cupping the heart, the waving goodbye. What, the, in line me on this emotional. one, what happened? Uh, he scores in his last game. Basically, I think he knows that he is going to be moving to Manchester United, even though it's not official at that point. He's playing for Besiktas. He scores a goal in front of their ultras and sort of stands there, like arms out, gra- like kisses the badge, holds the badge, uh, like thumps it, waves goodbye, says goodbye, but then he's clearly kind of like overcome by emotion for a moment, uh, does it again as he's being cheered and, and then like hugs his teammates. So it's just, it's like a nice moment. It's a moment of appreciation. Uh, it's a moment, I, I think, of like humility a little bit. I think that's the big thing is with Ronaldo at Manchester United, didn't feel like a lot of humility, felt mm. like he was always kind of annoyed not to be playing. And there were those moments when, Ten Hag would would sub him on, and, and you could just tell that he wanted to score, not because it would help the team, but because it was like, see, you can't win without me, you can't score goals without me. And I think to Graham's point about Felix, he he might make Chelsea better, he might be that that really key player they need, but I also think he's a player that's coming in expecting to start every single game, and if he doesn't, that will be a source of some friction, whereas Veghorst, I don't think, is coming in thinking, I'm going to be the man at Manchester United. I think it's a once-in-a-lifetime move for him. He is said as such. So I think in that way, it it's, it's potentially makes a lot of sense. We'll see how it goes, because obviously the Burnley move was not all that successful for him, and, and that seems to be a, a, a thing that has been spotlighted is, was that an outlier, or is that was an also Burnley. how he will be in the Premier League? I think, it was I think, also Burnley. I think, we, that. I think we really have to consider that, that, that he was playing for Burnley, a team that I believe finished 18th or was an 18th. I mean, regardless, like, 
That that yeah. is a difficult situation for anyone to thrive in. I think I generally agree with everything that's been said. I, I like this signing. It's not a, a flashy one. It's not a particularly attractive one. But, I mean, he scored 20 goals in the Bundesliga with Wolfsburg in, in 2020-2021, 16 the year before that, 17 the year before that. This guy can put the ball in the back of the net. He does the stuff that Taylor, you, and Graham have already talked about. I think it's a smart signing for a Manchester United team that is realistically looking to stabilize their position in the top four rather than compete for the title, as we talked about on the weekend review. Stabilizing a top four spot, to me, would be a hugely successful season. And Wout Weghorst, as, as silly as it kind of sounds, I think is a guy that helps you do that. Um. Before we move on from this one, I'd like to submit an application for a nickname for TSS for this player. Dub Dubs. Double Dub Dubs. Dub Dubs. Approved? I like it. I think that's almost the same number of syllables, but sure, why not? Dub Dubs. (laughs) Double W. Yeah, Dub Dubs. Vout Veghorst. So, yeah, you're you're shortening it by one syllable, but yeah, I'm with you. Yeah, it's it's a time saver, (laughs) as is this conversation about the nickname. Dub Dubs. I mean, he'll become Dubby Dubs. Yeah, I'm good with that. Excellent. Thank you very much. The Dubbest of Dubs? I'm going to keep going if you want. (laughs) Just grind this show to a halt. I'm going to take a break so you can riff on this one a little bit more. When we come back, let's talk about some of the deals that are currently up in the air. Back shortly. Dub Dubs. Dub Dubs. This episode is brought to you by LinkedIn Jobs, who would like to remind you when you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. You don't want to end up with Ryan, Graham, and Joe. Just kidding. Just kidding. Very much just kidding. Because I was very fortunate to have the three of them all join the show. And I had existing relationships with all three of them that allowed me to know that they could handle the the the, uh, the amount of work that would be required, that they could be diligent in their tasks and be very effective on mic. And all three of them are. But again, that's because you have the existing relationship. If you don't feel like you have that with potential hires, then LinkedIn is going to make it very, very easy, and they're going to make it feel like you are connected to that person. They have a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire because it gives you access to professionals you can't find anywhere else. But when you are setting the requirements and making it very specific as to what you're looking for, you can very quickly narrow it down to find the right candidate for that position. Hiring is easy when you have that many candidates. So easy, in fact, that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. And LinkedIn is constantly finding ways to make the process easier. They even just launched a feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process even easier and quicker. 2.5 million small businesses use LinkedIn for hiring, and you can too. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash TSS. That's linkedin.com slash TSS to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. Thank you very much to LinkedIn for sponsoring today's episode. Today's episode is brought to you by our old friends, Mac Weldon. Wouldn't it be nice if we could have things both ways, like a zero-calorie cheeseburger, internet ads in March that weren't just reminders to do your taxes, a dog that never needs walking after midnight when it's cold, a Manchester United that is consistently good instead of their current scattershot approach? Well, we tend to think of clothing as an either-or situation as well. People think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort. But it's possible to have it both ways. Mack Weldon makes timeless apparel with modern performance fabrics for guys who want to look and feel sharp without sacrificing comfort. 
From their light-as-air underwear to innovative anti-odor tees and versatile yet comfortable pants, Mack Weldon has a full range of clothes that never go out of style. I got a few things recently, including a long-sleeve polo, which I love, uh, maybe the most comfortable t-shirt, which I also love, and my new favorite sweatpants, the Ace sweatpant. It's exactly what I described above, comfort and versatile, but still stylish. It's the type of sweatpant I can wear to pick up my kids from daycare and not think, I'm now wearing sweatpants in public. The other parents will judge me. Now I just think, judge away, nerds, because you will never be this comfortable unless you're also wearing a pair, in which case, high five. Mack Weldon is not flashy. It's just classic, always in style, and made from the world's most comfortable performance materials. They're designed to fit both your style and the demands of modern life. So get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code TSS. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com, promo code TSS to get 20% off your first order. Thank you to Mack Weldon for sponsoring today's episode. Total Soccer Show, welcome back. Let's keep on going with our January transfer window special. Graham, it seems um, it is a biannual tradition. That Declan Rice, West Ham have to protect Declan Rice from the uh, suitors. Uh, for the past few years, this has been happening. Mm. Uh, is it going to keep happening in this window? In this window, yes. I don't think he's going to leave in, in, in January, but it does feel like there's there's been a shift in the landscape with regards to the, the, the reporting around Declan Rice's future. So it was reported by a number of outlets this week that Arsenal in particular are preparing to move for him in the summer transfer window. At that point, he will have just one year left on his contract at West Ham. So those same reports say that West Ham, are, West Ham are, this time, they are pretty much resigned to losing him in the summer and actually will actively seek to sell him because otherwise the next year... He's not signing a new contract, so the next year they lose him for free. And that the, the, the number that's been reported is 70 million. That's for what West Ham are, are looking for, for Declan Rice. And Arsenal are apparently willing to pay that. And then on top of that, there, there were links with Manchester United. I saw some other outlets saying... Yes, Arsenal are interested and Manchester United are expected to be in, in the race as well. So I think this summer, not for this month, but this summer, it feels very much like Declan Rice will be on the move. I think during the World Cup, there was a press conference where he very openly said he wants to challenge for the top honours. He looks around in the England squad, he sees players playing for City and and Liverpool and, and top clubs and he wants to be at those top clubs. So that said to me that he is also ready to move on. I, I like Declan Rice as, as, as a player and I think he's probably ready for a step up this summer. But I do have concerns about how quickly he moves the ball, whether that would hold him back for a, an Arteta or a, or a Ten Hag team. So for United, I guess Rice would be a would be a ball carrier. That is a feature of his game. But whenever I've watched Declan Rice, it feels like he needs wide open space to do that. He's a, he's a different sort of ball carrier to someone like Frankie de Jong, for example, who United have been linked with numerous times over the last year. He, Declan Rice is he's not going to beat two or three players in, in a tight space in the same way that Frankie de Jong does regularly. So it feels like, yes, in, in quick transition, he is useful at starting attacks from, from deep. But for Manchester United, I don't know if, he's, if he ticks every single box that they're looking for in well, that player. And, and then Arsenal, I think he strengthens that squad. But is, is he getting in that team at the moment ahead of Thomas Partey, who's in, in, in incredible form? Yeah. I, I don't think he is. So maybe that is Arsenal acting like a big club, yeah, quote-unquote, right. and saying, we're going to put £70 million on a, on a depth option. 
which of course would be would be a statement of intent. But if Declan Rice is looking to play week in, week out for a, a top Premier League team that's going to be challenging for titles and trophies, I'm not sure Arsenal is the right place for him to go. You don't you don't think Declan Rice thinks it doesn't matter whether this is true or not, but you don't think, Graham, that Declan Rice thinks that he's a better player than Thomas Partey? I do. I do at least. I think potentially. I think if you're this level, I don't know him that well. I think fair enough. <laughs> yeah, Declan. Well, I talk all the time. That's, yeah, he lives. He lives <laughs> he right lives by Ryan. Ryan so, I, I think if you're Declan Rice, you are thinking like you are 100 percent believing in yourself to beat out Thomas Partey for a spot in midfield and, and to be the anchor that wins Arsenal the title this season. I'm not convinced, Grand, that he's going to move either. But I, I do think there's something in the point you made there about Arsenal acting like a big club. You know, we've talked several times on this show about. How does, how does Mudrick fit when they have Raheem Sterling? How does Declan Rice fit when they have Thomas Partey? The answer is, it doesn't really matter, right? If you're a big club, you need to be signing players to strengthen for when that, the player that you've been using goes down injured, right? Manchester City have stockpiled talent for years now. Liverpool have done that, although you know now we see that it was maybe a little thinner than we thought coming into this year. You need players who are like 1As and 1Bs, right? I, I think you don't always need 1, 2, 3, 4 down the depth chart. You need competition every week in training. You need some element of squad rotation. For me, when I see a team like Arsenal, reports around a team like Arsenal, or even Manchester United, bidding for a player like Declan Rice, yeah, you can you can quibble about maybe the, the precise fit. And, I, and Graham, I think you make some good points there, some good uh, qualifications and, and considerations about you know maybe Rice isn't the perfect option. But I do think these teams need to be ambitious if they want to solidify for Arsenal a title and for Manchester United, a team that's currently inside the top four, which is better than a lot of folks thought they were going to do after the first two games of the season. Taylor, it was always Chelsea or for the party windows that Rice has been linked with. I'm not seeing that so much anymore. I mean, give it give it an hour or two. We'll see what they end say, up splashing out. Yeah. They are throwing <laughs> spaghetti at the wall. It feels like that could happen, right? I mean, I, I say a lot of that is because he, he has a good friendship with Mason Mount, not to drop the name once again, but they do live very close to each other. They play golf regularly together. I know He was at Chelsea that. as well as a youth player, yeah. Declan Rice. Yeah, so, so they're, they're that, best buds, basically. And I, the, there's always been the notion that he would bring him on board or help yeah. to do that. Not not to uh to to toss the ball here, but I'm going to do that. Graham, like for your concerns about him, do you think he would make that Chelsea midfield better? Because I, I think whoever thinks he would make them better would be wise to just go for him. Maybe offer a little bit more than what West Ham are holding out for, because this summer seems like it's going to be the stage is set for every club with money to try to buy Jude Bellingham. That seems to be the one yeah. that everybody is saving up for, going to be spending some cash on. Liverpool interested, Real Madrid interested, Manchester United, Manchester City. And so De- Declan Rice, not, certainly not the same player, but it feels like a player who isn't necessarily overlooked. But I think if you are prioritizing strengthening your midfield, you go for him, spend the money you need to spend to secure him now so you don't have another bidding war when all the people going for Jude Bellingham sort of look around and think, well, we could use a holding midfielder. Let's go for this guy instead. So would Declan Rice be a smart buy for Chelsea is my long-winded way of asking that question. So you asked two different questions there. Your first one was, would he strengthen Chelsea's midfield? My answer to that is yes. Would he be a smart buy for Chelsea? Uh I'm less sure of because I don't think he in terms of his profile I I don't think he's a true two-way midfielder in the way that Graham Potter looks for he's not Moises Caicedo he's not Yves Basuma he is he is an anchor and he's and he's a very good midfield anchor so you're looking for a team personally I'd be looking for a team that plays a midfield three 
So I think Manchester United, had they not signed Casemiro, would probably be a good place for, for Declan Rice to go. But they did sign Casemiro, and now they need more of a ball carrier. And as I say, Rice, he can do that to an ex- a certain extent, but I, I think he's quite cumbersome in, in a, lot of his, a lot of his actions. And so if you are a team that's trying to build around possession, then maybe he's not the perfect fit. Now, Joe and I have talked about how Ten Hag has been a little bit more pragmatic yeah. since he's moved to Manchester United, and they haven't been as possession-based as his Ajax team was. So maybe Ten Hag does have a plan in mind for Declan Rice that would become apparent. But for Arsenal, Manchester United, City, I think it's telling you never get you never get any links with Manchester City. I don't think City are ever going to be interested in someone like Declan Rice. I think he has a limited player. He he is he is good at what he does. I'm not trying to say he's not a good player. He is he's very good at what he does. But if I were to do a football manager style strengths and weaknesses, his list of strengths is actually quite a short one. It's just that those things on that list he is very good at. Can we take a quick beat, Graham, on Arsenal's transfer window, which uh, to my knowledge hasn't been super active in terms of getting pen to paper mm. at the moment. But you know you can't stand still when you're in that position, right? Yeah, and, and Joe referenced that 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 this is the the temptation for Arsenal. Is there even a couple short term solutions that would give them depth in in some key areas? So the really tempting one would be someone like Yuri Tielemans, who it feels like he he's quite desperate to move on from Leicester City. Leicester City, I was reading, actually need to raise some some money. They're actively trying to ship out some players. I think uh, Soyuncu, who I know hasn't been in that team this season, but he's maybe going to Atletico Madrid in, in, in this window. So it feels like there might be a cut price deal to be done for Tielemans. Obviously, he's a high quality midfielder. Does he start over Partey or Xhaka at the moment? I think I don't think he does, but you bring him in as, as, as depth because I've spoken previously about how in those central midfield positions, Arsenal don't have a great deal of depth. With regards to the attacking options, I think medium to long term, Arsenal certainly need to, to build out their squad depth there. So at the moment, they have Martinelli, Jesus, who's obviously out injured at the moment, Saka and Enketia for three positions. That's it. That's all the players that have played in those three positions this season. Martinelli and Saka have started 18 out of 18 league games that Arsenal have played this season. So that, that is a concern for them. Even, even if those two players, Martinelli and Saka I'm talking about, even if they avoid injuries for the full season or, or, or don't have suspensions... That's a lot of soccer that they're having to play over the over the course of the season. Smith Rowe is 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 an option when he's fit again and, and ready to feature, but he's more comfortable in a central position. You could actually argue that in the time he's been out, Arteta has evolved Arsenal away from having a player in his position. There's not really a player. I mean, Odegaard does the hybrid role of being a central midfielder and pushing up in behind the central striker and making those late runs. So I guess Smith Rowe is a depth option behind. Odegaard, but in the wide position, he's he's not so great in the right. He can play in the left. It's not his natural position. So there are questions for Arsenal to answer there in terms of their their depth. I know Rafinha was was has been mentioned as a potential option. I I don't know what it says about Barcelona's recruitment that they're apparently ready to offload him just six months after signing him for sixty five million euros when he was meant to be a major part of 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 this new team. He might be a good option for Arsenal, but I don't see him as a perfect alternative to Mudrik given. He's more about having touches on the ball and cutting inside, yeah. whereas Mudrik is, is all about, about being bit, a bit more of a, of, a, of a roadrunner. So I'm not saying Rafinha wouldn't be a good addition to this Arsenal squad. He's just not really the Mudrik alternative. Rafinha is more, from what I've seen of him, more east-west, and Mudrik is more north-south, I think is what you're getting at there, Graham. Mudrik is, is somebody who's really going to exploit space in behind quickly, and Rafinha will we'll do that stuff, but he'll hang super wide and then cut in. I think Rafinha would be a, a really good signing for Arsenal because I think he's a phenomenal player. 
I would be surprised if he left Barcelona, although Barcelona are the chaos circus. So you never know at this point. Rafinha hasn't been a regular starter for Xavi, but he has been a regular player. He's appeared in you know, most of their games so far this season, has started a number as well. One name that I've seen linked with Arsenal is Moussa Diaby, who plays for Bayer Leverkusen, young French winger, 23, I believe, left-footed. I, I think is a really, really good option for them out wide. It seems like the price tag is going to be high. Maybe from what I've seen, it, it looks like we're talking $100 million, which is basically what Arsenal were going to have to pay for Mudrik. Now, the, the reason why I think that's a slightly more palatable fee for Diaby than it is for Mudrik is there is a world of difference between the Ukrainian Premier League and between the Bundesliga. You know, the... The, the bet with Mudrik is still that he's going to grow into the player that you're paying for. Diaby, there's a little bit of growth left to be done, and you are going to overpay it in the winter if, if Arsenal are going to make this move. Uh, but, I mean, you already have a much clearer idea of who this guy is. You've seen him with France. You've seen him with their youth setup. You've seen him with Bayer Leverkusen scoring 10-plus goals in the Bundesliga. I mean, there's a lot to like about Diaby. I don't know if they'll pull the trigger. I think in another world, guys, in another world for Arsenal, a Christian Pulisic loan move in this window mm. would have been absolutely perfect. I think it would have been perfect for Chelsea. Get him out of there. I think it would have been perfect for Christian Pulisic. Get him out of there. And I think it would have been perfect for Arsenal because they need depth out wide. He's not starting over Saki. He's not starting over Martinelli. I think Pulisic, I know I just, I'm sort of contradicting myself with Declan Rice. I think Pulisic is smart enough to know what his role was going to be, but he'd still play more at Arsenal than he would at Chelsea. So, I think that would have been the, the ideal move, either alone or maybe a cut-rate permanent deal if, if they could have gotten that move done. But Pulisic's injury, of course, preventing him from making a move anywhere in this window. Arsenal are going to have to look elsewhere. That's a really great shout, Joe. I, I, I'm sad he is injured because that would yeah. be really fun. Uh, with Musa Diaby, I, I think an interesting thing, well, there's two things for me. The first is that it sounds to me like with Mudrik, Arsenal thought they had identified a sort of diamond in the rough that maybe a few other people knew was a diamond, uh, but but they thought they could get him for cheap. That's why their opening bid, I think, was 60. Even mm-hmm. with uh, with uh, Shakhtar v- valuing him as they did, I think they thought we can get him for, for less than they're asking because we've sort of spotted this talent. We've scouted him pretty extensively. We know what he's going to bring, and that's why I think they were offering lower and lower amounts. Then their hand is forced, and now, yeah, I think they went up to like 95 or whatever it was. So I, I, I think... At that point, to lose Modric and then to be linked with Diaby and then have Leverkusen basically say, well, we know you can afford $95 million, so $95 million, please. That's where I think Arsenal are in a little bit of trouble because they've publicly shown we've got money. And so now even when you're going for your second choice option, who plays in a stronger league, plays for a stronger club, uh, and maybe is more inclined to move, you are still going to have to splash some cash to make that one happen. It's a tricky situation, though we're talking about a Premier League club having to spend $90 million, all you poor lambs. <laughs> so uh, not that much sympathy, I guess, for me. Another Bundesliga attacker that I'm surprised, I, I did do a quick Google there and he has very uh, tangentially been linked with Arsenal, but I'm, I'm surprised there haven't been stronger links given his contract situation is Marcus Turam, who is out of contract at the end of the season. Apparently he's available for between 10 and 15 million euros. Now he he's not, he's not the Mudrick uh, alternative either, but in terms of just 
bulking up that attack with a, a player who's still only 25 so it's not a short-term solution you, he'll, he'll be you'll get a good few years out of him I think there is the the potential for him to play as a center forward as well so if Gabriel Jesus is out injured for for a, for a long time if Eddie Nketiah gets a suspension or he picks up an injury then you can shift Marcus Turam into the middle or you can have him on the left and have Martinelli through the middle uh, through the the center forward position I'm surprised there hasn't been more chat about Marcus Turam because, as I say, he's out of contract at the end of the season. Yeah. He had a decent World Cup as well, and it doesn't feel like there's a great yeah. deal of speculation around him right now. Graham, that's one. I, I, I share your concern about that one or confusion about that one because he, if you're spending $2.6 million for Valtvek Horst, uh, double dubs. What am I going with, Ryan? Dub dubs. Dub dubs, excuse me. Um, like 10 to $15 million for Marcus Duram feels like maybe a doable transaction if you're Manchester United to have him come in, play striker, but do the defensive work. Uh, and I think that, again, shows just how much Manchester United are trying to make themselves a, a billable, or buildable asset. That like There's nobody in this squad. You can sign whoever you want. I mean, they've got plenty of players. But I think, again, that reveals how little money they want to spend for a player of his quality. I think he would make a lot of teams better. Uh, so, too, would maybe Memphis, who I, I think at time of recording is sitting out training for Barcelona, is refusing to play there. So maybe he Why, gets a while move. we've been recording, Romano has reported he's, he's off to Atleti. It's done. There we go. So. Never mind. Going. See, see, <laughs> it's the TSS bump right there. <laughs> <laughs> Is that what it was? Yep. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, Taylor, can we do a little um, beat on Leeds as well? Yes, please. With uh, Georgina Rutter coming in, uh, they're r- going to be rutting their way up the league now. Hmm? Yeah, yeah. So right. how long did you work on that one, Ryan? <laughs> Seconds, Joe. Literally seconds. Oh, okay. I, I can tell. Yeah, it, it I will also show say, much, much like our friend Jeff, I believe I've learned, at least from the German commentators, that it is Reuter. Uh So th- there's that little wrinkle for you. Jorginho Reuter, uh, French. Oh, he's uh, French, right? Yeah. Yes, sir. Uh, French U21, 11 Bundesliga goals, uh, and he completes a move for a club record fee. I knew nothing about him uh, before I started watching footage of him. And man, do I think he is the perfect signing for Leeds. I really think he is going to be a a smash hit from, if not his first game, very, very quickly. I think it was, what, 30 million pounds? This feels like a player who a year from now or like like 18 months from now will be sold for 60 or 70 million. I, I think he is very, very good for a couple of different reasons. Number one, a little thing. I don't know why it's my number one, but it is. He has go-go gadget legs, the inspector gadget legs that somehow mm. extend just a little bit further than you think they will. Hmm. He's not the tallest guy, but they just he always gets to these loose balls that you don't think he's going to get to. So much so that he gets to them and then draws a foul. I saw him draw so many fouls by getting to a 50-50 ball first when a defender didn't think he would. So he's going to be that player who hustles, wins fouls, gives leads set-piece opportunities in and around goal. Uh, but he is also very strong, can hold the ball up well, works really hard to win the ball back. He covers a ton of ground. He's good with his head. He can hit with his left. I saw him score a couple from distance, but also some good directional headers as well. And just the work rate is there. He likes to play vertically. He likes to drop and win the ball off of a midfielder who doesn't see him making that defensive run and then turns and sprints forward for the vertical sort of counterattack. I just think he ticks a ton of boxes. I think nice. this is a really smart signing by Leeds. Does he does he tick the goals box, Taylor? And I looked very quickly. He's not a player that I'm terribly familiar with. Mm-hmm. I've watched some footage like like you. But just going on his you know his, his binary numbers and, and, and looking at how many goals he's scored, with Leeds... It felt like they needed a they need a goal a goal scorer. They've really needed that player since they've gone up to the Premier League, and I know you could say that about pretty much every team in the bottom half of the, of, of that table right now. But is he going to be that player? Is he going to get ten goals in the second half of the season? 
Uh, so he has 11 for Hoffenheim in two seasons. So it's a good question. I think the majority of those 11 have come this past season. I, I think if to me, he seems like a player who has done a number of different things for Hoffenheim. Uh, and you move him to Leeds if you put him as that central forward and you give him the opportunity. Yeah, I think he'll take his chances. I think, as I said, good, really good in the air, like the directional header thing. It's not the smash header. It's not just getting there the poacher style. But it's little flicks. It's it's putting it where you think he's going to go back across goal. He puts it to the far side netting. So I think he he can help in the air. But then I think can create on his own. Can be there to finish well. I, I think that's a fair concern to have, Graham. I think that will be the interesting thing is, are you moving him into one of those situations where everything clicks and we see him sort of raise his game? Uh, a good friend of mine, Joe, different Joe, I have multiple Joes in my life, uh, pointed Sorry, out Ralph. that yeah. there is yeah, usually <laughs> that sort of learning curve when you have a a strong but young attacker moving from the Bundesliga to uh, the, the Premier League. And so, as I said, I, I think he will hit the ground running, but there is always that wrinkle of, does it take him sort of three months, six months to truly find his footing? That's not a luxury I think Leeds can no. afford. So if he scores in his first couple games, I think that gives us an indicator of how well he's fitting in. Yeah, I think I think it's a good signing from Leeds. I shared Graham's. Time. I don't know if Graham <laughs> is concerned about it or if you're just asking questions. I am a little bit concerned about his ability to put the ball in the back of the net. He's, he scored eight goals in 1,600 minutes in the Bundesliga last year, which is a really good tally as a 19-year-old. That is, I, I think that's a fantastic number. He hasn't been as prolific this season, and Leeds United are a, a weird team. They don't play the same as Hoffenheim. There's going to be a stylistic adjustment. Like they, they are as far at one end of the extreme, at one end of the spectrum, as you can possibly get in terms of soccer style. So that is going to be weird. The Premier League is just a higher quality league at this point than the Bundesliga, so there is that to consider. I think it could be a really good move. I'm just not as confident one way or the other as Taylor is right now. I just think, generally speaking, Leeds need more. Still, they signed Volber. I don't know if I pronounced that right. From RB Salzburg, defender. Taylor, you talked about him as a very Red Bull yep. kind of player, very Leeds United kind of player. I don't know if he's going to be a starter on the the, the fullback spots or, or starter in the middle because he's played both of those spots for Salzburg. And then Luis Sinistera is working his way back from injury. He was signed in the summer, played played a bit, but almost a new signing there. So hopefully that helps Leeds out wide. He's a, he's a winger they signed from the Eredivisie. But I think they need more. I mean, Leeds are two points outside of the relegation zone right now. They have a game in hand, but that is not a big margin. They're giving up far too many chances. They don't have the defensive depth or the attacking difference makers they need. And maybe Ruter is that player. I think they're they're basically banking on him and maybe Brendan Aronson finding form and Sinistera getting back to health and, and really playing well. They don't have the depth, though, right now that I think they need to be a surefire team that's staying up. Onahi, I think, would make a, a big difference for this club. I think he'd be a fantastic signing. Leeds have been linked. I would be a little surprised if they pull off that deal because there are other bigger clubs that have been in for him, or at least clubs that have spent more money on transfers recently. You've got Marseille and Napoli and maybe even Leicester reportedly interested. But I, I want to see Ruter make an impact soon, and I want to see them, for, for Leeds United's sake, I want to see them maybe make one more strong signing at the base of midfield, somewhere in midfield, or, or maybe further back. Joe, I'm not always a, a big fan of a manager moving to a new club and then bringing like the one or two best players from that club yeah. with him. Uh, Brendan Rodgers, I think, did that when he moved to Liverpool. It happens all the time. This might be the exception. I'm wondering what your thoughts are. Graham, same for you. Like, If you're Jesse Marsh, if you're Leeds, 
Would you look at like any of the Salzburg players that you coached or that are still at Salzburg or maybe a few of the Leipzig players and just bring in some of the players that maybe you can get for a bargain, you can get for cheaper amounts, but you know they're familiar with the way you want to play. They know they're familiar with the style. It's going to be an easier betting in, even if technically they're not at the level, even if they can't sort of maybe hang with uh, creating opportunities in the Premier League. At the very least, they can bet in and help your team sort of continue to function, give you those depth options. Would that be a way that leads could be good or do you just run the risk of bringing in like suboptimal players and then you have a suboptimal team that gets relegated that is a risk but i think when you're looking for short-term results that 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 is that's something that can work i mean taylor your own team has done that to great effect this season eric ten Hag going back to to ajax he recognized he need needed players that could immediately come in and understand his methods and ideas and maybe that's not a long-term plan i would suggest for my United that shouldn't be a long-term plan just but keep reading ix it works for a lot of clubs why not <laughs> well yes barcelona's <laughs> whole identity as a club just read ix but um yeah i mean you're you're joking there about ajax reading ajax but ajax is a good source of talent mm-hmm. i would say, i would say the same thing about salzburg it's not a, it's not like you'd be reading a club that doesn't have a track record of producing young players i mean you say you could end up with suboptimal players. I mean, are there many of those at Salzburg? It seems like they're pretty effective finishing schools for sending players to the Bundesliga and to the Premier League. So I, I can think of I can I can think of worse strategies, particularly with Leeds at the moment. I've read a lot of from um, Phil Hay, who's a, the Leeds reporter for the Athletic. He's very good. He has reported about. The, the strategical issues that Leeds have had, a lot of it is related to money and how they're struggling with really being a Premier League club with a championship budget. And so there has been a lot of upheaval in their scouting department and recruitment department. So until those things sort of straighten out, I think there, there, there would be a, there's a worse strategy than basically just raiding Salzburg for players. All right, guys, uh, we're nearly at time here. If we could just uh, maybe focus on a couple of interesting rumours out there. Graham, one I wanted to talk about was Pedro Porro who does seem to have been a Spurs target, now a Chelsea target, of course, and maybe a few other clubs as well. But it seems that with Spurs, they've been going, we want to give you slightly less money than you want. And Sporting go, we want the money that we've asked for. And that's the whole conversation. That's been happening for two, three months, it seems like, with with Pedro Porro. I think Spurs, or sorry, Sporting want somewhere in the region of 45 million euros. Spurs are holding out for paying around 30 million euros and and we've been there for for a long time i've watched a bit of pedro porro i have mixed thoughts i i think in an attacking sense yes he is very useful defensively i i think he is a flawed player and i saw i can't remember who it was on twitter it was it was someone of an analytical background but basically saying he is super matt doherty which is an upgrade for spurs on real matt doherty is he the player that's going to really propel you into top four contention? Uh, maybe not. So mm. there might be better options out there. I actually think the best solution for everyone here is Pedro Porro goes to Chelsea and is the deputy option for, is the depth option behind Reese James. They do need more wingers, and then, so let's make that happen. <laughs> Denzel Dumfries, who's been linked with Chelsea, who maybe doesn't want to be the depth option behind Reese James, goes to Spurs, where he will be a first team player under Antonio Conte. Who did Conte coach Dumfries yeah. at Inter? Yeah. Yeah, oh, did, or did like he? Maybe, or was that Hakimi? I felt like he joined afterwards because Hakimi was yeah. the... Anyway, scrub, scrub that link. It doesn't exist. Nonetheless, I think he would be a very good signing for, for Tottenham. All right, then. Uh, any other deals anyone wants to talk about, Tavesa? 
I, I, it's not one I want to talk about. I want to hear Joe's thoughts on uh, Duran's Aston Villa because that feels like uh, it should be ma- massive news, and maybe it is. Maybe we just haven't Duran been able Duran. to talk about it. Yeah, Duran Duran, of course. Yeah, it's been big news in MLS circles. The third highest, or, or could be the third highest outgoing transfer fee in MLS history behind two pretty good players in Alfonso Davies, who is a superstar for Bayern Munich, and Miguel Almiron, who is having the best season of his life for Newcastle United in the Premier League. Duran moving for, I believe the reported fee was $18 million at a base fee, but could rise up to $22 million, uh, depending on different incentives and add-ons. That's a lot of money for Chicago, who sold Gaga Sonina to Chelsea for, I believe, $15 million the most expensive goalkeeper to ever leave MLS, and now they, they sell young Colombian striker, who I think is a really good player, for 18 to 20, 22 million, somewhere in that range. It's a great bit of business by Chicago to sell right before the bubble bursts, if it's going to burst, and, and these things do happen. It's not a guaranteed hit for Aston Villa, but it is a massive number for them. So well done to Chicago here, and, and well done to Duran, who I think, like I said, I think is a good player. He's still young, though. I think he's 19 years old. There is so much more room for him to grow, but he's a lanky striker, can run into the channels, can run in behind, very skilled, good finisher. I mean, he does a lot of things very, very well. I don't think he's going to be an impact player on day one in the Premier League, but I think over you know the rest of this season, we'll start to see him play more. And then into next season, he could become something of a revelation. Could is the operative word, though, though. Again, very, very young. Joe, is he, is he hungry like the wolf? Does he have a good reflex? <sighs> something about Rio. We can add these in here, right? Oh, you got oh, it! Yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm shocked by that one. Look at you that go! Is, that <laughs> is work an here astounding is moment. My work here is done. <laughs> I think our work here is done, actually, guys. Excellent January transfer roundup. Uh, we should get at least a couple more of these in before the window is up. But for now, Joe Lowry, Duran uh, Duran fan extraordinaire. Thank you very much. You're welcome, Ryan. Thank you. <laughs> Taylor Rock, well, pleasure as always, my good sir. Oh, man, the pleasure was mine. That's good stuff, fellas. That's good stuff. Indeed, Graham Ruthven. Keep on trucking, baby. Thank you, Ryan Beeler. You too. And listener, thank you very much for joining us. We'll be back on the feed very shortly, but for now, bye. Bye.